This morning, we, as I said, we are starting a series of three messages looking at the marks of true Christian ministry. And we are doing this because we have come to Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, to chapter 2, verse Three, this section, uh, in this section, Paul is sharing about his work for Christ. That's what Paul is doing. Now, of course, Paul has never met the Colossians. And he's writing this letter to them from a Roman prison cell. Paul is in chains for the gospel as he writes Colossians. It's so important we keep that background in mind. And he talks about that towards the end, at the, towards the end of chapter 4. Uh, how does Paul feel? about his ministry now that he's in prison. Why is he there? How does he see Christian ministry? He talks about that here. But he's not just sharing thoughts about his predicament or about himself in general. Paul, the Paul's words here are indirectly teaching his readers, the Colossians and us, about what true Christian ministry looks like. And this is what I want us to look at in the next few messages. Now, I know for some of you, you might be thinking to yourself, ministry, wow, um, it's not for me. <laughs> Perhaps now is the time for me to uh, uh, do that mental shopping list uh, at Asda's. Well, <laughs> not so quick, not so quick. This is an issue, actually, for all of us. Why do I say that? Well, for two reasons. First, this passage has something to, important to teach us about leadership in the church. How should leaders serve in the church, in this church? And you should be interested in that because God has blessed us in this church with all kinds of leaders. We have church elders and deacons and we are praying for more, right? And you should be praying for more church elders and deacons. And church elders and deacons are responsible for the overall spiritual and practical oversight of the church. But we also have church leaders in other areas, in various ministries of the church. We have the women's ministry. We have the men's ministry. We have children's ministry. And we're also praying that the Lord would raise more ministries. In the, we need people to lead our evangelistic work. We need God to raise up people who would do work and ministry in the church, not just having the elder do it, Right? We need people to, we know God to raise up people who are doing youth work, mercy ministries, and all kinds of ministries, right? So we have leaders already in many areas of the church, and we're praying for more leaders to be raised up in various parts of the church. The question is, what does God expect from all the different kinds of leaders God is gonna, is, has, has given us and is planning to raise? What are the marks of leadership we should be looking out for? You should be interested in that. You're interested in who's teaching you at school, what kind of leader they are. You're interested in the prime minister and this job is doing, right? You're interested in mom and dad and what they're doing at home, right? That's leadership they're providing, right? You care about leaders in every area of life. You should care about leaders here because actually here, infinitely more, because what leaders do here affects as eternal consequences for your souls. So you should care about that. And this passage gives us the answer. That's the first reason we should care about it, leadership. The second reason we should care about this topic about Christian ministry is that all true followers of Jesus are actually called to be ministers to the church. They are called to minister to one another. Christian ministry is not just 
about a group of select people. We're already elect, right? The Bible teaches every church member ministry. God has called each one of us to minister to each other. And that's why he has given us gifts, talents, and resources. And he commands us in his word to use those resources for the benefit of his church locally here and beyond here wherever God has placed us. For the advance of the gospel. And there are a lot of things you can do to minister to others in the church. You can pray. Prayer is ministry. If you are, God has raised you up to intercede for the church and you do that fervently day in day out, that's ministry. You can visit. You can befriend people. You can welcome people. You can open up your home. That's called hospitality. That's a ministry. There is a ministry of tea and coffee there, and which we all love and benefit from. There is a ministry of organization. We saw how important organization is. We just had a wedding, isn't it? It was lovely to see uh, organize, people who are gifted in, in organizing and getting everything done. That's a gift. That's a gift. There's a gift of cleaning. You know, this place has to be cleaned. Somebody has to have a passion to clean. You know, in fact, all of us can clean, so all of us are gifted in cleaning, right? <laughs> it's a gift of maintaining the environment. You have a gift already, it's a gift of cleaning, because I'm sure you cleaned yourself up today and you came here, right? So, so that's a gift. You've got that. The list is long, isn't it? The list is long. <clears throat> and you know what? Sometimes just being present in the church is also ministry. And as a pastor, I know that. Because I've been here, for example, in the evening service, and there's very few, and you prepared your message. And just to see, have another person there, just their presence as ministered to me, I'm like, you made an effort to come back. He's made it all worth it for the kingdom of Christ. Presence. And I just want to encourage the elderly particularly. We, there are many, many, minimal things we can do, but we can pray, we can be present for the work of the kingdom. And of course, we can mentor um, young people and so forth. There's a lot we can do. Remember, there is nothing small in the service of God. The smallest work, Calvin said, for Christ is more grander than the dignity of any emperor. And my prayer is that as we listen to the next few messages in Colossians, all of us as individuals of the church will grow in the knowledge and practice of true Christian ministry. Now, this morning, I just want to look at the first mark of Christian ministry. The mark of servanthood. Or you might call it the mark of service. And the key truth we are learning today, this morning, is very simple. True Christian ministry is what? Servanthood. Servanthood. Please turn with me there to that passage we read, verse 24 to 26. I'm actually particularly just focusing on one word in verse 25. Let me just read those verses. And this evening we'll look more closely at verse 24. Now I rejoice, verse 24, in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his sense. Now, last year, Amazon opened its door to the first ever cashierless store in the UK. It's the first one. 
This is the first store of its kind outside the USA. They've been doing that. Uh, the store is in Healing, right? I haven't been there. But from what I've read, it is meant to be the ultimate in self-service. Um, one retail expert called it a watershed moment, which is, they always say that, don't they? It's interesting, they haven't popped up everywhere. I thought the pandemic had given them a license to do that, but uh, they haven't popped up. But anyway, it's meant to be a watershed moment. Uh, you can go in the store, you can grab items, and you can walk out of the store without interacting with employees or even using your card. It is in and out, you are done. <laughs> Some people like that, right? Well, why have Amazon come up with that? Well, Amazon is creating these stores because you see there's something in us, right? That loves serving ourselves without depending on others. There's demand for that. And I think it's in all of us. It is part of who we are. Many of us, look, who wouldn't prefer to be self-employed if they could? Just work for yourself, to be your own boss. Who don't love to do that? I would love to do that. You know, rather than answer to any other authority. That's natural to our human nature, our fallen human nature. Because you see, it goes back all the way to the Garden of Eden, right? God made us to serve him and each other. But we chose to rebel against God and decided to live only for ourselves. Ever since sin entered the world, we find it difficult to serve God and serve one another. We want people to be our servants, to serve us, rather than us serving them. It's part of our fallen nature. But Paul in this passage, notice, calls himself a servant. And you're thinking, I haven't seen that here, right? Yes, I know the word servant is not written here, but actually it is the original word for the word he uses. They are called minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, he says in verse 24, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which what? Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Paul is saying, God has called me to be what? A minister. The New Testament Greek word is diakonos. It is where we get the word deacon from. It means one who serves. Paul is saying, of which I became a servant. That's where we get the word diakonos, where we get the word deacon. So you might ask yourself, why didn't they just use the word Servant. Why have the translators decided to use the word minister? Actually, in this case, it doesn't matter which word you use. Because the word minister is the same thing as servant. If you know your English very well, you know that the word minister is actually a Latin word. That means a subordinate or a servant. The Roman used it to refer to house and temple slaves. During the time that Paul is writing, there were over 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. The slaves were not treated like people. They were more like goods to buy and sell to one another. In the Roman Empire, to be a servant was the most demeaning thing to the Romans. But you see, the Lord Jesus Christ changed all that. The Lord Jesus Christ changed that by his life, death, and resurrection. Christ turned the Roman 
society upside down because God in Christ became one of us. We read that in Philippians, isn't it? He took the form of a servant and he died on the cross in service to us. And yet Paul, one of the apostles, one of the saint ones of Jesus, calls himself a, a minister, a servant, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Paul is saying to the Colossians, God has made me his servant for you. I am called by God to be the one who serves Christ and his church. I live to serve Christ by preaching the good news to you and to other churches. I am your servant because you are part of the body of Christ and Christ has appointed me to serve you. I am not here to receive, says Paul. I'm here to give. I'm here to serve you. Paul is following the example of God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? Jesus is God and he deserves to come into this world to be worshipped, to be honored by everyone. But instead, Christ took on the life of a servant by clothing himself in our human flesh. He became one of us. And that was not the end of it. Christ went to the cross where he suffered as a criminal in our place. Our Lord allowed himself to be treated less than human to serve and serve us. Christ gave up his freedom on the cross that we may be freed from our sins. He gave up his privileges so that we can have the privilege of being his children. Paul loves and worships the servant king, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says here, my identity in life is that I am a diaconos. I am a servant. A servant of Christ, not for me. A servant of Christ for you. Now why is Paul saying all of these things to them? Why has he repeated this word? In fact, he uses it four, three times just in this section. He's using verse 23. Verse 25, you use it later on. Why is he mentioning this word minister, minister, right? Well, for two reasons. First, Paul wants them to understand that any leaders in the church must be servant-hearted. Paul is a leader in the church, and he wants all leaders that the Colossians have to be servant-hearted. And Paul has already mentioned one of the leaders at Colossae, a man called Epaphras. Look at verse 7 there. To verse 8, he's speaking of the good news of Jesus there. Then Paul says this, Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is what? A faithful minister of Christ on your behalf for you. Paul is saying to them, look, true leadership it's not like these false teachers who have been coming around trying to divert your attention from Christ. No, true leadership is like your man, Epaphras. Don't be taken in by people who want to hold positions in the church only to serve themselves. Choose leaders like Epaphras. True Christian ministry especially the ministries of those we recognize as leaders in some capacity in the church, must be marked by servanthood. 
Servanthood. Leaders in the church must not be like leaders in the world who are self-centered, who are inconsistent, who, are, who lack stickability, who are not committed to the work of God. No, they must be marked by servanthood, selflessness. We are not here to dominate others. We are here to serve. We are here to serve. We are not here to receive service. We are here to wash other people's feet. But sadly, this is the exact opposite of the experience of many people in churches they have attended or are attending. Churches can be very controlling places. I just want to say that uh, if that's been your experience in the church, then just know that's not biblical. A true church centered on Christ is not made up of control freaks. It is made up, it's meant to be made up of people who fall over each other to care and love one another. This is how Christ has designed his church. But sadly, in a fallen world, many churches are dominated by church leaders who are there for self-service. Many people want to be leaders, not to serve other believers, but to control other people and to ensure things are comfortable for them. They are less shepherds, more like gatekeepers for their comfort. A true church is made, of, made up of followers who are servants for each other. And I, I, I just want to say, that starts with the church leaders, not just the church elders and deacons, but all those leaders I mentioned who are serving in different places in the church. Our children must see Sunday school teachers as servants if they are to grow up to be servants themselves in the life of the church. We need servant-hearted leadership. The attitude of anyone serving in the church should be like the attitude of care workers, isn't it? I mean, I was just so amazed during the pandemic about the, the, the other focus of care workers. If you're in the care profession, you know this already. What marks out people in the care profession is that they are other-centered. It's so amazing. It's so amazing. There's a man I know I chat with him all the time. He looks after one of the guys down the road, and he's just always thinking about them, always thinking about that man, and he has to wash him, clean him, everything. He just, you know, he's just so centered on that. There's a, there's a people I know, care workers, we've seen them here, and our, our friend Samuel, don't forget him, we're hoping he'll come in one of these days. Samuel who lives down the road, a young man who used to come to church, but can't, hasn't been for a while. They look after him, and the guys are just so dedicated. They're so careful uh, with everything. And, you know, that's, that's care workers. So other-focused. And I think it's one of the reasons the government found it easy to impose mandatory vaccines on the care and health professions. Because most carers and those who work in the health sector are people-centered. So the naturalist just said, whatever it takes to keep our patients safe, if you say this works, we'll do it. They are people-centered, people-centered. Now, if people in the world are self-like like, like this, what more those of us who are called to be leaders in the church that Christ has purchased by his own blood. What more 
us who are regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. What more us who, who have been entrusted with caring for the people of God at every tier of church life? Well, we must be spiritual care and health workers of his church. We are not meant to be controlling. We are meant to be servants. I just want to say our service must not simply be box ticking. We must do it to the best of our God-given abilities. We must be faithful and committed to it. And maybe I'm about to say the wrong thing, but I just want to say this, you know, I have, as well as serving in the church here, I have the opportunity of at least serving in three Christian organizations, three charities, as, tr as trustee in three of them. So I meet a lot of church leaders at different levels. And what I certain means that there is a, and I've worked in the private sector, I've worked obviously in government before, and what I certain means that when I compare sometimes the secular world and the Christian world, there's certainly a tendency among Christians who serve to be reliable elsewhere except in the church. And in fact, I would say that I've seen secular world people work harder than people work in the church. We give Christ, beloved, our leftovers, the leftovers of our time, the leftovers of our energy. That's why many of us come to church very tired. And that's sad, isn't it? Because Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I've seen in churches people lacking what I call stickability. Isn't that a new inward, isn't it? Stickability. They start things, they stop. Lack of community. In the secular world, I never really saw that. There was endurance. You're working on a project. It's got to get done. It's got to be done and it's finished. But in the church, people, you give somebody responsibility. You know, pastors struggle carrying many things. I'm not just speaking here, but elsewhere. Elders do a lot in churches. Why? And because actually it's very difficult to rely on people. There's a lack of stickability. There's a lack of commitment to things of God. The church of God needs true servant-hearted leaders in every area who are available, committed to serve the King of Kings as God has called them to do. Not working for the leadership, but working for Him, isn't it? That's the leaders we need. Which raises a question, isn't it? And this is an important question. How can we tell whether a person we want to recognize as a leader in some area of the church really has a servant heart? I wonder how you answer that question. How do we recognize that? Well, I think for me, the answer is very simple. And it's simply this. The true test of a servant is that they don't mind being treated as one. Did you get that? The true test of a servant is that they don't mind being treated as a servant. They don't mind being treated like no one cares about them. They don't mind obscurity. They don't mind being opposed. They are here to serve. They understand that. And they are here to serve the king of kings. That's the true test of a servant. They are willing to say after serving, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. I have only done what Christ has called me to do. I don't need a pat on the back. 
And let us pray that God places his servant-heartedness in each and every person who is currently serving in the church. Beloved, pray that God humbles myself and Brother Holler because by the nature of service draws pride. Pray that God humbles the Sunday school teacher. Pray that the Lord humbles the, those who are leading the ladies' work, Sister Willie and Sister Becky, that God humbles them. Pray those that are leading other areas of, of, of the church, and mums and tots we are planning to start, and all the other things where God has called people to serve. They pray that they are servant hearted. You need to pray for God to humble them, humble us. Because humbleness doesn't come easily, it must it can come from God. We can never be humble enough. We can always go lower in our humility before others and God. And we must pray for this, for those leading us. We should not just stop at prayer, I emphasize. We must lovingly feed back to those leading us. Where we see pride in their lives. Don't be afraid of people. If you notice this pride, chat with them. Pray for them suddenly, ask for the wisdom, and feed back to them. If they don't react in the right way, then obviously they are not, they don't have a self, they're not servants. They are hirelings, isn't it? Right? Or they are some opposite of servants, self-centered, or something like that. And that requires you to pray for them. We need other people in our lives, in the church, God has placed us to help us serve Christ better. Not just here in the church, we need that wherever God has placed us, in the home, at places of work, to, to have a servant-heartedness. And, and that requires other people to help us grow in that. But I just want to say, this call to servanthood is not just for those in positions of leadership. As I've said at the start, all followers of Jesus are called to serve. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 uh, to 11. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 to 11 uh, says this. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That's verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to do what? To serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And then verse 11 says this, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter is simply saying God has given every follower of Christ at least one spiritual ability or gift. On top of other God-given talents and resources. God has given you these gifts and talents and resources, not for yourself, okay? Not for yourself. He's given them for the benefit of his church. You are meant to use your gifts, talents, and abilities to minister to the person sat next to you. But sadly, what happens is that we treat the gifts and talents and resources that God has given us like Christmas presents, right? <laughs> okay? If you're given a Christmas present, what do we do? Well, what do we do with the package? Well, we, we, decide, we decide when to open it, when we have time. And we maybe decide to use it. If it's not a good present, well, we give it to charity, I hope, rather than throw it away, right? 
We tend to treat gifts from God like that. We either open them or, or we use them a little bit or we just get rid of them. But our gifts and talents from God are not like Christmas presents. They are more like letters in the bag of the postman, right? They are not meant for us. They are meant for others. Your gift of singing is not for you. It's for the person sat next to you. Your gift of time is not for you. It's for the other person. Your gift of hospitality, well, it isn't just for your friends. It's for the stranger the Lord may bring in the church. We are merely, beloved, the vehicle God has chosen to deliver his ministry to the people sat next to us. And we have a responsibility to serve his people precisely for that reason. And what this means is this. If you have an opportunity to use your gifts, not everybody has the opportunity, right? Because there are times, circumstances in life that prevents that, right? But if you have an opportunity at the moment to use your gifts for the church, and you are not doing it, you are sinning by omission. Okay? It's a sin of omission. A sin of not doing. That's also a sin. Another way to think of it is like this. The church of God is at war, isn't it? Against the world and Satan and the devil and the rest of it. Yeah, of course, Satan is the devil, right? <laughs> but you get the idea. The world system, the flesh, right? We are at war. That's the state of the church at the moment. We are at war, right? And there's no demilitarized zone. We are all of us engaged in a spiritual war. Well, your gifts and talents and resources are needed in this war, in this fight that the church is engaged in. Now, I just want to ask you a question. What do you think Christ, our commander, makes of our failure to give ourselves to his church when the church is at war? What do you think Zelensky makes of those Ukrainians that are not willing to supply themselves for the defense of Ukraine? What do you think Zelensky makes of NATO at the moment with his refusal to engage directly in the conflict? Think about that and then think of what God makes of us when we withhold ourselves from this fight that the church is engaged in. Is, that, is our refusal not to serve not a betrayal of his, against his cause? Are we not hating the enemy by refusing to supply the church of God with our resources, gifts, and talents? Is that not a dereliction of duty? Dare I say, is it not the highest of treason to sit back and see Satan plunder the church of God when we can be helpful in advancing the cause of Christ in this world? Are we not robbing the church of Christ by our lack of servanthood? Serious, isn't it? It's a serious thing. Now, many of us, of course, know this truth already. We know that all of us are called to minister to one another. We are called to be like Paul, a minister according to the stewardship from God. We know that we are to be servant-hearted. We know that. I'm sure you've had a sermon on that already. In fact, if you are here, you at least had two sermons when we went through Mark on servanthood. But many of us still struggle to serve Intention. I'm not saying that we don't serve when we're here, but I mean that intent. I am a servant, and I must serve my master in his church. We lack that intentionality. What's going on with our hearts and our lives? Why are we struggling there? I just want to give you three possible reasons. Reason number one 
is that many people in the church are not true Christians. We have to start there. If we have no desire to serve at all, it's most likely that we don't know Christ. The matter Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, once a man or a person has experienced the mercy of God in his life, he will henceforth aspire to serve. The proud throne of the judge no longer lures him. He wants to be down below with the lowly and the needy because that is where God found him. And, and Bonhoeffer, of course, died for the cause of Christ in Nazi Germany. Do you see this? Bonhoeffer is reminding us this is a gospel issue. If you're truly converted, you have a genuine desire to live as Christ lived, a servant of his people. So if all this talk about serving is not doing it for you, you need to ask yourself, why is this topic boring to me? Why is it boring to me? Why do I lack interest in serving? You've got to ask yourself that. Could it be that I lack any desire to serve because I don't really know him? Well, pray to God that he reveals the true condition of your heart. Because your eternity might be at stake here. Perhaps you haven't reached that position of being truly born again. The second reason some people are not bothered to intentionally engage in serving in the church is that it's sometimes because of unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. If you're living in sin in some area of your life, Maybe your heart is, you know, is sinking in pride, in bitterness, in unforgiveness, or some sexual sin. It is hard to serve. Even if you have a desire to serve because you're regenerate, the sin stops us from serving. Because the Holy Spirit in us, you see, convicts us of our sin, and it makes clear that we need to deal with this sin first before we can serve. Now, at the men's group, very well attended, Brother Ola, thanks for leading us. When we met on Friday, a question was asked, you know, Brother Ola posed it, is, can sin prevent us from serving? If we've got sin, do we have to deal with our sin first before we serve? And the answer I gave is, it depends on the sin, isn't it? And it depends on the service. We're all sinners here, we're all serving as sinners. So if, if we have to be perfect to serve, then no one is going to serve, right? So there are, but there are some sins, there are some qualifications for different positions of the church, and there are some sins that can prevent uh, us from serving in a particular area. But, you know, if you struggle with pornography, that's no excuse of not serving in the church. Repent of the pornography and start cleaning the toilets. I tell you, cleaning the toilets will help you with dealing with that. But it's a road to, it's a road to humbleness. So now, beloved, repent of your sin and get serving. And, and as you're struggling with it, get involved in, in the lowest. And I'll come to that in a moment. So, 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 but we have to be aware that the, that the sin may be preventing us. And the other way the sin may prevent us from serving is that sometimes God stops people from serving. I have, I have begged people here to serve. And they've told me, no, I'm not interested. And I've later found out there is a sin that they have been struggling with. God, God is sovereign like that. He's sovereign like that. And so you must examine yourself in this area. 
Is there a sin in my life that's stopping me from giving myself wholeheartedly to God and to the people God has placed in this church? Sometimes we're not aware of the sin and we need others to help us. Ask people in the church who have no incentive to pamper you, but just love you in Christ to help you honestly to examine your heart. The third reason, and is this, and it's a bit sensitive for some of us, right? The third reason we may not be intentionally be serving in the church, or we may not be using, I should, we may be wanting to serve, but we are not using the full resources God has given us to serve, is that we are not committed to the local church as we should be. Parents and children serve in the family because they live in that home, isn't it? They are committed to their home. It is their home. And to serve effectively to your potential in the church, you must call it your home. To serve here, you must call this church, this is my home, right? How can we use all the full range of our gifts and talents for this church if we are not committed to the life of the church? If we are not members, committed members formally to the church? Think about it, look. Think about this one. Suppose God has given you a gift of financial management, right? Just an example, right? Maybe you're an accountant, an auditor or something. That's just your gift God has given you, right? Now, at this moment, and this is true, we are praying for a treasurer in the church. Somebody who will be helping us, to, who can help us to handle the finances of the church. Because our dear brother Michael, who's 86, coming to 86, right? Um, maybe already, but he's, you know, he's, he's aging. I'm sure he's past 100. He keeps going. He keeps going. <laughs> so, so, so he's a dear brother, right? He, he, he never gets tired. He just goes and goes, isn't he, brother? You are serving us. You have been a treasurer and you know, supporter of brother Andrew, right? Well, when time has come for him to hand over some stuff, and he would love to, right? So we are praying for a treasurer now. You are gifted, you are not human, you're an auditor, you are gifted somewhere, right? And we need that, right? But you're not a member yet. So the question is, how can the church trust you with its finances when you're not a member? You get that, isn't it? You wouldn't allow that situation. And that's normal, you know. You've got to be committed to the church first. But here's the problem, right? Because you're not a member, the church is losing out on your gift. You love the Lord Jesus, right? And the church is losing out. Right? But you're also losing out. Because you're an auditor. <laughs> you're, you are your you accountant and you have that gift. And the Lord would, would be wonderful for you to grow in that. To extend the gifts you, that you're serving in the place of work to in the life of the church. So do you see that? Let's make that point to make the point really, which is simply this, that to serve we must be committed to the church, Right? Being a church member is not intended to stifle your freedom as a believer. It is there to help us thrive together, for you to grow in service, and for the church to grow in this war we are engaged in against Satan. So some of us today may be a good day to ask our, to ourselves, you know, as the time come actually for us to call this church my home and to formally commit here to become a member and use my gifts. Paul is reminding us here is that true Christian ministry is servanthood, right? And all true followers of Christ are called to serve. We are served to serve, right? And praise God that as a fellowship we are growing in servant-heartedness. I mean, I've been here, this is my sixth year here, 
And this, I can honestly say that this is the most servant-hearted I've seen in this church at the moment. People want to get involved. And I'm so thankful, particularly for um, among the ladies out that's being laid. And, and, and the willingness, and we saw some of that, to, to do that. We need to keep growing, though, in serving. In every area of the church. Right? And how do we do it? Well, the answer is, we don't. Right? How do we do it? It's not up to us. Growing in servanthood is a God thing. We cannot make ourselves grow. God must do it, isn't it? God must make us to serve him. But we have a responsibility, isn't it, to do three things. Three things. First, we must pray that God should make us servant-hearted. Prayer is the first thing. Pray that God makes each person in the church to be servant-hearted. Secondly, we must obey and take up opportunities to be a servant. Right? We must actively pursue opportunities in church in the church that are that are that are that are, that, are, that, that will encourage humility in us. Seek to do the things in the church which no one is interested in doing. Right? That's the way we grow in humility and humbleness. Find something in the church which no one is doing. And the list is plenty, right? And so if, you, if, you, if you're not sure what that is, you can come and chat to me about it. And as you do the things no one is doing, you're growing in serving. You are, you, you are adding value, right, to the kingdom. So we must do that, right? We must obey and take up opportunity to be a servant. And the final thing we must do, of course, is that we must saturate our minds with the gospel of Christ. Focus on the gospel. Focusing on the gospel reminds us we are not servants to end God's favor. We can't do that. It's grace, right? Because Christ has died, God has already accepted us. And it's the wonderful thing about the gospel. Even if you don't serve, if you're truly born again, you're going to heaven. So we don't serve to, to, to go to heaven. We are called to serve because it is who we are. That's the nature of the regeneration work in our lives and the sanctification. The death of Christ has rescued us from self-serving, self-centered living. We have now been freed to live in selfless service to Christ and his church. This means that we do not grow by trying harder. You know, you shouldn't live here and say, I must work hard. No, we grow by looking closer at what Christ has already achieved on the cross. And the more we grow to love our Lord, the more we grow to love his cross, the smaller our pride becomes, the smaller self-focus becomes, because you see, the glory of Christ now just begins to take center stage in our lives. We start serving him, not us. This is how we grow in servanthood, through the gospel. So ask God to help your eyes to linger every day on that blood-stained cross. Let the wonder of the cross move your heart in worship and adoration of him. And you do that, of course, as you meditate on the word of God and take every opportunity to sit under gospel-centered preaching. And as we do that, we'll grow in servanthood.